0: Our scripture reading for this morning is Ephesians 6, a 18 through 20. Stand therefore praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word.
1: Thank you, Gina, for that reading of scripture. Thank you, worship team, for that amazing, amazing song, King of Kings. And thank you, congregation, for allowing me and my wife, Mary Alice, to spend these last four Sundays with you. We feel deeply honored and privileged to have had the opportunity to be back here at First Evand, this church that has meant so much to us. You have prayed for us and supported us through both good times and difficult times. And we are deeply, deeply grateful. Not only have we enjoyed the privilege of sharing God's word, but it has been a joy to have interaction, personal interaction, with many of you. And that has truly enriched our faith and encouraged our hearts. You know, I was thinking, Taylor, that uh, I I guess you already took it with you, that megaphone. It's not up here. I, I haven't needed a megaphone because I have sensed that your spiritual hearts and ears have been wide open, and that has been a great joy. Thank you very much. We look forward to being back at the missions conference in a couple of weeks. Lord, we ask again that you would open our hearts and ears to your word, that you would speak to us through this portion of scripture that has just been read, and that the Spirit of God would prompt within each one of our hearts a willingness to obey, not only individually, but we ask also collectively as a church body. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. Amen. It was in 1952 that a doctoral student at Princeton University approached Albert Einstein and asked a rather interesting question. (laughs) What is left in the world for original research? And Albert Einstein looked at that student in the eye and said, find out about prayer. Somebody find out about prayer. Prayer is indeed a puzzling mystery, is it not? After all, think of it. If God is truly sovereign, omniscient, all-knowing, and is perfectly able to carry out his plans and purposes without your help or mine, why pray? The one who spun the worlds into existence and upholds them By his mighty right hand. The one who said, I am. That is, the one who is self-existent in and of himself, implying that he really doesn't need you and me. Why would this God of the Bible institute what appears to be the rather paradoxical program of prayer? And then beyond that, what does prayer have to do with what we've been talking about spiritual warfare or more specifically what is the precise relationship between prayer and the putting on of the different pieces of God's splendid armor in this passage Paul doesn't tell us all there is to say about prayer But he does answer several key questions that are vital for you and me if we are to better understand this dynamic relationship between prayer and spiritual warfare. You see, in this particular passage, those little ing words, taking up, putting on, praying... They cannot be disassociated. They are inseparable in meaning and they all go back to the one primary command of Ephesians chapter 6. And that one primary command is this, stand firm. (laughs) That's the theme of our series, stand firm. And so as we think about that, we ask, why pray? Well, here's the first good reason, which is more implicit from this text than explicit. We pray because intercession internalizes the instruction of God's Word. For example, in chapter 1, Paul talks about The fact that the Father has planned our redemption, our salvation. The Son of God purchased our salvation. The Spirit of God protects our salvation. And then in Ephesians 1, turn with me there to verse 15, suddenly Paul launches into prayer for this reason. And then in verse 17 he says, I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And then he focuses primarily upon the fact that you and I have been actually lifted up in Jesus Christ far above all principality and power and every name that is named. Paul internalizes instruction through intercession. And then when we come to chapter 3, after Paul talks about this mystery, the fact that Jew and Gentile have been brought together in one living body of Christ, he begins to pray this truth into the believers. Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the God and Father from whom all family, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And then we come to our passage. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20. And after recounting all that he has said about the significance of standing firm. Paul moves into prayer. Praying. Praying. In the spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and supplications. So what really is the instruction that Paul has given us? A very brief recap. It is summarized under that one basic command that governs everything else that Paul says in this passage, and it is that imperative, stand firm. You see, That is not merely a defensive spiritual stance. It is also offensive as we have already seen. The first three pieces of the armor are more defensive in nature. The next three pieces are more offensive in nature. It was a military metaphor that described those who took a very firm stand against the enemy but were also aggressively moving into battle because they were confident of victory. And that is why we have underscored several times that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory, we fight from the spiritual high ground. How is it that we can fight from the spiritual high ground? It is because our union with Christ In His death, burial, and resurrection that deals specifically with the power and penalty of sin also defines our identity in Christ in His cosmic victory. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 2.15, He disarmed the powers and authorities, having victory over them through the cross. Satan, indeed, has been put on a lethal leash. And though in your life and mine, and in the context of the church, at times that leash may appear very long, if not loose, nevertheless, that leash is there because our enemy, the adversary, is doomed. The victory was already won at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Paul can tell us in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's not somehow finding strength in ourselves, whether it has to do with temptation or the onslaught of the enemy in our minds. It has everything to do with finding our spiritual strength in who we are in Jesus Christ. But how are we to be strong? We are to be strong by putting on the pieces of the armor. Basically, in those verses, verses 13 to 17, Paul has told us this in the truth, in the truth, the righteousness, and the peace of the gospel, in bold faith, with a renewed mind, and the spoken word of God stand firm against the adversary's malicious attacks. But in order for us to understand that and see it part and parcel of our experience with Jesus Christ, it has to be internalized through intercession. That is why it is good to take every message that you hear, every Bible study that you attend, every time of discussing God's Word and mix it with prayer because it is through prayer that those truths are internalized in our lives. Here's a second reason. Prayer is the means of deploying the spiritual armor that we have been given. You see, prayer is not simply a seventh piece of the armor. It is the means by which we deploy the six pieces of armor that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Somebody asked me this past week, David, you know, somebody tells me often, put on your armor, put on your armor. And I've been thinking, but I already have my armor. Do I need to put on the armor? Well, to both questions, yes. (laughs) We have been given the armor. There is both doctrinal truth in these pieces of the armor, and there is also practical truth. There is positional truth, who you and I are already, and who we are collectively in Jesus Christ, but there is also practical truth. That is, based upon our identity, both individually and collectively in Christ, We, by faith, are aware of and putting on the various pieces of armor that God has provided for us. And we do that by prayer. You see, you and I can understand the schemes of the enemy... You and I can better understand our identity and authority in Jesus Christ. You and I can study these various pieces of this splendid spiritual armor that has been made available to you and me, but apart from consistent, intimate contact with our commander in chief, these pieces of the armor will do us little good. I had the privilege of pastoring a church in Belgium for about five years in southern Belgium near the NATO base. It's called SHAPE, Supreme Headquarters of Allied Powers of Europe. And our church was 85% military officers. There at SHAPE, there are more than 31 nations from around the world, but specifically Europe, that are there as our defense, the Allied Force defense. We had the privilege for nearly three of the five years that we were there of having the Supreme Allied Commander as a member of our church, General Curtis Mike scaparotti. And, you know, I learned a little bit about the military during those years. One thing that struck me is that There at SHAPE, in Belgium, they are in constant contact with all of their fields. Unbroken contact. In fact, SHAPE is basically a communication center. When the Allied Commander showed up in our church on Sundays, he would be accompanied by several security guards, not only to protect him, they were there to remain in constant contact in case of emergency. They were on the alert. Today in the military, we don't use walkie-talkies anymore. We have more sophisticated forms of communication, such as a rifleman's radio or other very well-developed, efficient means of communication, so that in any time, at any point in the fray of battle, constant communication lines are open between those in the fray of battle and those in a position of command. I thought about this a couple of weeks ago when I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I was in a motel room, as I spent a fair amount of time in motel rooms. And there on the chevet next to our bed was that little phone. And it was, really isn't for calling outside of the hotel as much as for calling the front desk. You know, if I needed an extra pillow, comfort. Or if I needed a meal or some other need, if I was a little too cold. After all, it was minus 20 degrees in Sioux Falls. <laughs> what a difference between a convenience telephone and a rifleman's radio. And sometimes for us, our prayers, because we're not aware of the spiritual dynamics that are taking place around us, we sometimes view prayer more as a convenience Telephone. Oh, God, give me this. Wouldn't it be nice to have this? Would you intervene here? Rather than seeing the bigger picture of what is taking place in the heavenlies and taking up that walkie-talkie, that spiritual rifleman's radio that keeps us in constant, inseparable contact with our commander-in-chief. The question remains, however, (laughs) If God is sovereign and fully able to carry out His purposes, why remain in such constant contact with our commander-in-chief? Without God, man cannot. Without man, God often will not. You may not be in agreement with that statement, but I believe I can support it throughout Scripture. Without God, man cannot. That is why we pray. Jesus looks at his disciples in John 15 and says, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, uh, the reminder to the people of Israel as they were leaving Babylon and going back to see the reconstruction of the temple under Zerubbabel, they are reminded of this not by minds, nor by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. First, Ivan, as you move forward, as you move through difficult times, it's not going to, the, the harvest, the results are not going to come about with all of our human means and methods and technology. Though those can often be put to good use for the glory of God, it will come about by God's spirit. And that is why prayer is so very vital. Without God, man cannot. But get this, without man, God often, often will not. Because God has chosen to involve you and me and the accomplishment of His purposes. In a very real sense, and I say it respectfully, God depends upon the prayers of Of his people not because he has to but because he has chosen to two examples Daniel chapter 10 an amazing passage we referred to it several weeks ago you heard it preached some months ago but remember what is taking place sixth century BC Daniel is praying mourning and fasting for three weeks 21 days why Because he knows that the work back in Jerusalem is being hindered. As that first group of exiles are now returning to reconstruct the temple, rebuild the walls, rebuild the city, reinstitute the worship. It is being hindered because the crown prince under the ruler Cyrus, and his name was Cambyses, was hostile towards the people returning. So Daniel is praying during 21 days. And suddenly, in his time of prayer, an angel touches him on the shoulder. And what does that angel say? He says, Your words have been heard. I I have come in response to your words. Daniel chapter 10 Verses, around verses 12 and 13. What if Daniel had not been praying? What hindered Gabriel from coming? Well, the text tells us. There was spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. It says that the prince of Persia, who is a celestial demonic being, was fighting against Gabriel, but Michael came to assist Gabriel. Gabriel. And Daniel chapter 11 tells us that Michael came to assist Gabriel because previously during the reign of Darius, Gabriel had assisted Michael. Now, when you and I read such passages with our Western mindset, we say, wow, that's that's bizarre. But friends, this is the word of God. It is probably the passage of Scripture that gives you and me more than any other text of the Bible insight into what is really taking place 24-7 around you and me and around the church of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the Old Testament example. What about the New Testament? In Mark chapter 9, verse 29, the disciples are encountering a young man who is demonized. In other words, a demon has taken control of that young man. It's throwing him down. He's foaming at the mouth. He's gritting his teeth. And sometimes the demon attempts to cast him into the fire because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to kill everybody. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill me. And so Jesus comes on the scene and the disciples are discouraged because they say, hey, we, we tried to see deliverance in the life of this young man, but we couldn't. And Jesus reminds them of what he had often reminded them of, oh, you of little faith. He had a special term for that. In the language of the New Testament, it's ologopistoi. Oh, you people of such little faith. And then Jesus shows how that deliverance would take place. He delivers that young boy in the authority of the Father, and then he reminds the disciples This kind cannot come out but by prayer. This kind cannot come out but by prayer. Here we have two examples where God is chosen to work through individuals. On the one hand, Daniel who is praying. On the other hand, Jesus Christ, the God incarnate in the flesh. But also then later, the disciples who are able to continue that type of ministry of deliverance Without man, God often will not. Why? Because he wants to associate you and me in the accomplishment of his redemptive purposes. Really, that's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, a passage you probably know quite well. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, (laughs) Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I'm going to the Father, implying I'm going up and the Spirit is coming down. And because whatever you ask in my name, I will do it in order that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Essentially, Jesus tells us in that passage the greater redemptive works of Jesus Christ are accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit and this in direct response to believing prayer. You see, our prayer should always be in the name of Jesus for the fame of Jesus with a view to the reign of Jesus on this earth and through the church of Jesus Christ. It's like having a boat on a sandbar. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. My dad used to take us down to the Gulf of Mexico, and as the tide would go out, sometimes that canoe that we had would get stuck on a sandbar. Guess what? Canoes can be heavy. And when that canoe gets stuck on a sandbar, you can do all you can to move it forward or to pull it back, and you can barely budge that vessel. But when the tide comes in, it lifts up that vessel, and you can move it as you wish. See, that's what prayer does. Prayer, believing prayer, brings in the tide of God's Spirit in our lives individually, in the life of the church. Satan wants to build sandbars. Jesus Christ brings in tides in response to prayer. That is why we pray. We can do more than pray after praying, but you and I can never do more than pray before praying. God's work swings on the hinge of prayer. Not because it has to, but because God has chosen it to be that way. When prayer goes up, God's power comes down. We see that in Acts chapter 6, where for the early church, the two primary pillars of the church were prayer and the word of God. And may that remain true here at First Evan. For it is only through prayer and the word of God that the tide comes in that people are saved. That believers are built up, that the church is edified, and that the forces of evil are pushed back. So how are we to pray? Uh, we've spent a lot of time on this question, <laughs> why we are to pray, and I wanted to intentionally camp there. But let me briefly, from this passage, answer two other questions. How are we to pray? Well, Paul gives us some clues here in this text. In fact, He tells us what frequency our our Rifleman radio should be on. And the frequency it should be on is described by the little word all, which is used at least four different times. Notice, at all times, with all perseverance, for all the saints. And then Paul says, with all prayer and supplication literally he is saying with all kinds of prayer and supplication we need that in our times of prayer together individually within your family within prayer meetings in the church less prayer meetings become monotone silent prayers audible prayers private prayers public prayers Individual prayers, corporate prayers, short prayers and long prayers, prayers of praise, supplication, intercession, thanksgiving. And throughout the New Testament, we have multiple, what I like to call, patterns of prayer for the people of God. I just mentioned two of them Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. There are also prayers of resistance. In other words, Paul begins here to talk about prayer, but in relationship to the pieces of the armor that he has just described in verses 13 to 17. And so when in the fray of battle and time, that evil day that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, moments of increased, accelerated temptation and difficulty, prayers of resistance... Taking the breastplate of righteousness, for example. Oh God, I am experiencing a moment of increased accusation in my life. Sin from the past. But I know, according to 2 Corinthians five twenty-one, you who knew no sin, you became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, on that basis, I offer up according to what Paul says in Romans 6, 13, the members of my body as instruments of righteousness to you. Yes, pray the different pieces of the armor, knowing that many of them you already have, but as you voice them in prayer, it internalizes that instruction in your life, and it also reinforces your spiritual capacity to stand firm against the malicious attacks of the adversary. Not only are we to pray with variety, we are to pray with tenacity. That is, with perseverance. Paul says, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert. The word literally means, uh, I actually don't like this myself because I love my sleep at night, but it means to... Lie awake without sleep, to suffer from insomnia. In other words, you and I are never to be spiritually asleep. You and I are always to be spiritually awake. Does it mean going off and living in a monastery somewhere? Paul was an activist. But I imagine that the Apostle Paul probably understood what that Brother Lawrence meant when he talked about practicing the presence of God at every moment, every moment, every waking moment, and during the night as you wake up to allow your heart to lift itself up in prayer to God. You know, personally... My wife has been a great example to me in this area and that is why I am so thankful she is often with me in ministry opportunities because she is an intercessor more than I am. I can't tell you how many times at night she is lying there praying for countries around the world and next to her is a man dozing off in a deep snore. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we'll be walking along a path near a trail that where we walk regularly where we live. And she'll be interceding and praying. I have to be careful that she doesn't trip on something or run into somebody. <laughs> she has a unique way of taking every thought of others and turning them into a prayer for others. It's a very helpful way to stay in constant contact with our commander-in-chief. Yes, with tenacity. I have posted watchmen on your walls, old Jerusalem, Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. And they will not be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, you who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. The passage should be up on the screen. Give yourself no rest and give him no rest who will establish Jerusalem and make her the praise of the earth. Yes, we are to be like watchmen on the walls, constantly interceding, aware, spiritually aware of the battle that is raging around us. For in doing so, we are not overcoming God's reluctance. We are laying a hold of God's willingness. We are not in persevering prayer getting God to join us in our plans. We are rather in persevering prayer joining God in His plans. That's why the psalmist can say, He trains my hands for war. And for you and I as New Testament believers, we need to pray that. God, train our hands, train our church, train the body of Christ for spiritual warfare. For prayer is an apprenticeship. Daniel was going through an on-the-job training as he prayed for 21 days. The disciples, as Jesus pulled them aside and said, Hey, guys, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer. They were involved in on-the-job training. They were learning what it means to claim their spiritual authority in Christ. Oh, we could say much more about these aspects of prayer. We are to pray dependently. Paul says, praying in the Spirit. That means... I believe he describes it well in Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27. Write that passage down by the way. Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You and I feel weak in prayer at times. Either we might Not often in our sleep, and our fatigue, or our minds are distracted. Paul says, in our weakness, the Spirit of God helps us, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. Did you catch that? The great apostle Paul who penned the words of Ephesians 1 and the prayer of Ephesians 3 says, I don't know how to pray as I should. But he goes on, but the Spirit of God prays for you and me with groanings too deep for words. And the one who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, for he intercedes for you and me, the saints, in accordance with the will of God. How freeing that is. When you and I don't know what to pray or how to pray... Our prayers serve as a trigger to the action of God's Spirit and we know that the Spirit of God can take those prayers and reinterpret them so that they are according to the will of God. Believer, never be discouraged by your uninformed praying for the Spirit of God is able to pray in a very informed way. And he promises to take those prayers and use them towards the accomplishment of God's will. What are we to pray? You know, one thing that I have so appreciated about the prayers of Scripture is that they help us, as the Word of God impregnates our hearts and minds, it keeps us from routine prayers. And I believe here that Paul gives us another pattern of prayer for the people of God. He says, notice verse 19, that words may be given me to proclaim the gospel. That words may be given me to proclaim the gospel. You and I are called as the body of Christ to be praying for the mission of the church. And that involves praying strategically. There are many passages of Scripture that relate prayer specifically to the mission of the church. Colossians 4, pray for open doors. Colossians 4 again, pray for wisdom for those that are announcing the Word of God. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, pray that there would be workers sent out into the harvest. Those are biblical prayers, and as you and I pray according to the Word of God, we can be assured that we are praying according to the will of God. Yes, we need to be praying strategically for the mission of the church here. Paul asked that God would grant him boldness. But also we need to be praying obviously for one another. Verse 18, making supplication for all the saints. Making supplication for all the saints. In many ways, prayer is a way of you and I arming ourselves together for spiritual warfare. And that is why prayer must be, must remain one of the ultimate priorities of any local church and in the life of any individual believer Yes, the more we pray for one another, and it is true, the less we will pray, P-R-E-Y, upon one another. Because whenever there is a spirit of criticism or judgment towards another believer in the body of Christ, as we pray for that individual, it begins to transform that into words of encouragement. Words that edify and build up the local church. Epaphras, Paul says, Colossians 4.12, is always wrestling in prayer for you. Why? That you may stand firm. That you may stand firm in all the will of God. Mature And complete. And that is my prayer for this church. I will join my prayers, Mary Allison, I will join our prayers with those of Epiphras for First Evangelical Church that you may stand firm. Believer, there's one last word that we need to notice in these verses. Do you see it? Notice. Paul says in verse 19, pray also for me. Pray also for me. I mentioned in the first message that some 35 years ago, my wife and I came back for a period of time from the mission field during a time of real spiritual conflict and warfare in the context of our mission and also just personally I experienced at that point in my life uh, maybe a type of midlife crisis, chemical depression, but also intense spiritual battle in my walk with God. And as I shared openly, I discovered that the more I shared openly about my weakness, the more it brought encouragement to others. It's a funny thing. My dad used to say this little phrase. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, everything to learn. And I like that because I think it exemplifies well the Apostle Paul in this passage. I mean, get this. Paul, this great apostolic missionary, responsible for a huge portion of our New Testament, and yet here he writes and he says, Believers, pray for me. Pray for me. Maybe today you feel that way. Maybe in your own heart you feel like, wow, I'm in the fray of battle. I have a wayward child or a grandchild. I'm being accused in my mind. I'm feeling sick and weak. Age is having its effect. Whatever circumstances of life you are encountering, you can do exactly what Paul does. You can say, pray for, pray for me. Maybe you could just take pen out or pencil from the pew in front of you and there on your bulletin where it says, pray also for me. Would you just write down where you need prayer today? Write it down. You know, when we write something down or when we speak it, it, it brings it out. It lays it before God. It lays it before others. And that's a very healing process. Write it out. And in just a minute, we have a few people gathered around. I know this is not typical for first event, but you know what? God often wants to take us out of that which is typical. Sometimes He wants to make us uncomfortable. And it's often in times like that that we experience the greatest spiritual growth in our lives. So we have some people around the auditorium here. You see where they are. And in just a minute, you're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. What a friend we have in Jesus. Listen to these words. Just listen to this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have you trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And there is no better way to take it to the Lord in prayer than to take it to the Lord with others. In my own journey, I think that the times of greatest spiritual resourcement and strengthening have been when I've been humble enough to say, I've got trouble. I need help. Would you pray with me? So today we want to simply, these are watchmen. They're not on the wall, but they're next to the wall from Isaiah 62. They're there, and they're just available. As we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. You want to take what you've written down and go to one of these dear brothers and sisters and say, just pray over me. You don't have to divulge all your life. Just, they'll just be there to pray, to pray over you in the name of Jesus Christ. As
0: David said, we're going to sing What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And as we do, we're going to intersperse it with some instrumentals so there's a little bit more time for you to pray and lift your requests to the Lord. Um, and as we sing, if you'd like to go to one of the people, there's also uh, Steve is up in the balcony here. If you're up in the balcony and would love to pray with somebody or share your requests with a, a person ne- next to you. Um, let's uh, lift our requests now to the Lord. together what a friend we have in Jesus what Let's continue to pray as we listen to this verse. spies forsake thee, take it to the Lord in
1: prayer, in his arms he'll take
0: and shield thee, thou will find a solace there.
2: Often ask folks to pray for us and we say certainly I'll be glad to pray for you and we part ways and often we um, come to someone and say will you pray for me and they say of course and we walk away maybe a habit we should build is to make that right now will you pray for me sure let's pray can I pray for you? Sure, let's pray and make that a part of how we practice the one-anothers of the New Testament If you do us a favor as you get ready to leave today, we do have a memorial service in here uh, Shortly you could just grab your communion cups grab your bulletins things like that. Take those with you as you go and go with this precious word From Philippians chapter 4, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.